0: Man, right on. New series, What Would Jesus Undo? And uh, you all know the little wristband thing that was real popular, and it's What Would Jesus Do? And uh, this idea is what would Jesus undo? What would he come here, if he came back to earth, if he came back and spent time with us, what would he undo? And uh, I think it wouldn't take him very long to start undoing some things. Are you with me? Uh, uh, You take a look around the landscape. It's easy to just look at culture and say, oh, he'd go get them. But I think if he showed up in our homes, he'd get us a little bit too. Are you with me? Um, And so I want to just spend the next few weeks taking a look at what are the things that he would undo? What are the really big things uh, that he would undo? Because John 10.10 says that uh, Jesus came to bring us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Uh, You could say it like this, that Jesus came not only to provide salvation in heaven, thank God, and we're grateful, but he also came to show us how to live, So it was more than just someday you get to go to heaven. It was like, hey, I came to bring you life and to give it to you better, to show you the better way to do things. So it's not just, oh, we've prayed this prayer of salvation and we wait for the clock to run out until we get to heaven. It's no, you've came, he came and got us and provided for us salvation. But it's also a process of there's a better way to live now that we've been set free. Amen. Uh, We said it last week that many people uh, believe in, in God. Uh, Many people say, you know, even in America, even though the data is changing, many people say, oh, I believe in God and I believe in, I'm a Christian and I believe in God. Many people believe in God, but the number of those people who actually worship him is much fewer. There's a huge difference in saying, oh, I believe in God and I worship God. I've surrendered to God as my Lord and Savior. But, oh, I believe in him, and that sounds good, 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 good. Love wins, good, good. We love all this, but the surrendering to the lordship of God, where He has all of you and leads all things in you, are you with me? Yeah. Is a whole other thing, and that's where we want to live. Yeah. We want to live in the total surrender where He is Lord of our lives, not just a good idea in our life. Yeah. It's where literally everything is surrendered unto Him, and so that—that's a practice. That's an effort. It's not. It's not just. We can't be headline Christians of, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. It's like, no, this, that needs to do a work in me. That needs to do a work in me. That, are you with me? So I think this is a good starting point. This topic today, it's something that uh, I basically feel like I can give you uh, and give myself and we can all leave here and use it and be better right away. Um, I think this scripture, something, or this idea, this topic of this week is one that we all deal with. So one thing Jesus would undo this week, uh, make sure you have your notes in your Bible and, and, and you can take notes, uh, but my first week I wanna talk about what Jesus would undo and it's this, it's deathly confessions. Our deathly confessions. The words that we speak over our life, the words that we speak over our country, the words that we speak over each other. Are you with me? We all struggle with this. Uh, I'm gonna play with a story in scripture and, and I'm going to do a could it be, and then I'll move away from it. And, and, if, and if that doesn't settle well with you, then that's okay, because I have other stuff to back up the same thing. But let's just play, uh, I, I love this, uh, rabbis in, in, in teaching, uh, as they would go through Torah, they would have so many interpretations of different verses. They would say, it means this, and it also means this, and could it mean this? And so when I read this scripture, I, I'm playing with this idea of could it mean this? And I'm going to try to back it up to you in scripture. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. It said, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, Judas, had a great multitude with swords and clubs. They came from chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer, which is Judas, had given them a sign to the other people, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. So we're talking about uh, where they're about to capture Jesus and, and, of course, bring him to the cross. Immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Verse 51. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. This is, of course, Peter. Many of you have heard the story. So you know the situation here. The betrayal happens. Peter, and I want you to think of this in the context of our words, how we say things, how we react with our words. Peter sees this happening, immediately draws a sword and tries to take a swing. He actually misses. The intent wasn't to cut the ear off. The intent was to, you know, kill the guy. And so in this moment, Peter, and this is what I want you to connect to your words and how you feel and how you react verbally. Peter, in this moment, had the right to defend perfect Jesus, right? It even felt right. He's in the moment, and he's like, this is the right thing to do, is is to lash out with this sword. You also could say that if he stopped for a moment, and froze time, and pulled the group, his circle that was with him, if he he shot a group text to all of them and said, Hey, I'm thinking I'm going to take this guy out. What do you guys think? I would actually probably say that most of them would say, let's, let's do it. And so you could say it like this. His circle probably would have agreed with him that the right thing to do would be to lash out with this sword. But Jesus response in verse 42 says, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. And so you think, okay, oh my gosh, you know, he's rebuking him for defending perfect Jesus. I, you know, there's no way that Peter would have saw this coming. And so here's what I want to try to say. is since none of us run around with real swords, or most of us, many of you, maybe, possibly. Uh, the more I get to know you, the more I kind of wonder. But most of us don't. But if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Live by the sword, you die by the sword. Could it be in reference to Proverbs 28:21 that says, life and death are in the power of the tongue many I don't know how you could draw the correlation life and death are in the power of the tongue you live by the sword you die by the sword the bible calls god's word or his words sharper than any two-edged sword so god's words what he speaks are sharper than any two-edged sword the scripture also says that we're made in god's image if god's Image, if we're made in God's image and we're to be imitators of God, is it possible to say that our words are also like a sword? Is it possible that He says, look, when we react with our words, when we're quick to draw that sword of our words and carve somebody up, could the rebuke be the same in our lives? Hey, don't do that. Put your sword in its place because if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Because life and death is in the power of what we swing. Are you, are you letting me play a little bit? What we swing with our words, I mean, just even look at the word sword. Word, right? So is there like this tie to, hey, be careful. If, if all you want to do is get people with your words, if all you want to do is, is be right and tear people down and fight just to be right, be careful because if you live that way, you'll die that way. Are you with me? I thought about this. Uh, it's easy for us to pull these swords, these words, especially in trying times, things get unstable. Things get scary. Things fail us. Things fall apart on us. We're quick to react with justification in our words or our rebuttal, or are you with me? And saying, Hey, look, just like Peter, You may be in a situation where it felt like the right thing to do. Your circle may have agreed it was the right thing to do, but it's still not the right thing to do. Are you with me? We have to be careful. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Our words have great power. I'm going to try to explain for the next few minutes that this isn't just an idea where God's like, hey... Uh, there's a whole bunch of tools you could have in your life. If you'd like to use this one, your words as a tool. No, listen, I want you to hear this. God literally hardwired this principle of the power of our words into the universe. It's not just an idea on the side of, like, hey, if you could do your best and be careful how you use your words. No, the, it's a principle that this universe is hinged on. What we speak comes into existence. You can literally see, and and I may even spend some more time on it next week because there's just so much to get into, Uh, but there's so much in scripture that says like our words are what creates. God uses our words to do things. Many of us just want to believe stuff and hope it comes into existence, but I'm going to take a look here in scripture that our words are the way that God creates. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because in Genesis, the scripture says that God spoke and it was, are you with me? And again, same principle. If we're imitators of God, if we're called to be like Christ, if, we're, if the scripture said that in the beginning, Jesus was with God. So all the way back to the beginning, if we're called to be imitators of God and be Christ-like, then that means we're people who create with our words. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So you frame your future by the words that you speak. You frame your future by the words that you speak. And you've heard me say some of these thoughts before, but they're just so fundamental. We need to remember this. God literally said, he spoke in the world was we speak things and our world becomes based on what we say. Uh, I thought about it like this. You are what you speak. So I want you to start thinking now at your work or with your kids or even in your church or whatever you're doing, start beginning to think the things that we say about stuff are what we're going to see in politicians and in our communities and all of the things that we say, we need to be careful the world that we're framing with our words If Jesus were to come, I believe one of the things that he would undo is the way that we're using life and death with our words. These deathly confessions that we keep speaking over things, he would say, stop doing that. You don't understand. Put that sword away. You don't understand. Are you with me? It's, again, hardwired. I would say it this way. What's on your tongue is in your future. It's not comical. It's not, oh, ha, 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 I'm just that kind of person. To be negative and always speaking negative and always seeing the most negativity. Ha, 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 negative, negative, negative. It's damaging. Amen. And so we got to be careful. Winston Churchill understood the the power of words, known for his great speeches. The British prime minister in the 1900s was just known for the way that he was able to motivate and craft people and send them out. And he did it through these great speeches. He motivated troops. And he said this, I learned how to organize the English language and send it into battle. He understood that there's power in words. Here's how much God believes. Here's how much this is hardwired into the universe that our words matter. Salvation comes through words. Everyone's like, "No, salvation comes through Jesus." Yes, but Romans says this. Romans ten nine says that if you confess with your mouth that Lord, that the Lord Jesus, if you confess the Lord Jesus, and then it says, "In believe in your heart." Many of us just think, and this comes down to the whole belief thing. Many of us just think, oh, if I just believe, if I just believe, if I just have faith, if I just have faith. No, those things are important. Believing and having faith is important. But it says with that, you must be a person who what? Speaks, confesses, says things. Amen. So if you believe in your heart, they raise him from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation is literally something that comes with the power of our words. So is our faith. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 It says, very truly, I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. It's not enough for you to just walk around church and believe, 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 believe. Are you with me? It's not enough for you to walk around your house and say, oh, I just believe my kids are going to be raised up. My kids are going to and I just believe my job and I just believe, believe faith and belief and all and trust in God, all of that. I'm not downplaying any of that. But the scripture says what accompanies that and what goes with that and what pushes that thing through is this ability to be able to speak right. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah repentance james five sixteen says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective repentance and forgiveness all throughout scripture comes attached to this thing called confession it's not just an omission in the heart of god i was wrong it's no we have to verbalize amen I thought about this. That's why God gives us this promise in Jeremiah 1 12, in the English standard version. It says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it. We have God in heaven, literally looking down on the things that he's promised, looking over the words that he spoke. And he's saying, look, those words have power and I'm up here waiting to activate them for you when you speak them when you believe him, when you say them when you're operating them God is up in heaven holding his deal to his words Proverbs chapter 17 verse 4 says this a wicked person listens to deceitful lips listens would be gives time to or believes in or gives attention to and then it says a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue Think about it in just culture right now. The way that the news is run, it says if it bleeds, it leads. So you start the news with the drama-filled story or the controversial or the negative. If it leads, it bleeds. If it bleeds, it leads, the news. And this thing is saying, hey, be careful because a wicked person listens to or gives time to deceitful or corrupt talk. A liar pays attention to destructive A destructive tongue. Uh, A person who's a liar is this. A person lacking truth gives time to death-filled confessions. A a, a liar. A liar is somebody who's speaking death, who's speaking untruth. It's saying, hey, don't, don't give it a liar. Someone who lives in untruth pays attention to that destructive tongue. I hope it's not said in our life that what gets our time is the lies, is the untruths, is the negativity. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, t- take it further than, than just, just what you would think. It's easy to look at the news or current culture and be like, oh, this corruption and destruction. And no, let's look at our lives. What, 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 what about the destructive tongue of, of things that we deal with? Well, so-and-so, my boss, you know, they say he's this. He's always doing it. And we're buying into the lies and the destructive tongue and talk. Amen. Or, well, our kid's always this. And, and we believe into this destructive talk. No, we got to be somebody who can see above all of that. Amen. Because Proverbs twelve eighteen says this. The words, words, of the reckless pierce like, there it is again, swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Brings healing. Just remember, it's life and death. Life and death. It's both. So as much as I'm up here saying you can destroy things with your words, you can tear down things with your words, remember that I'm also saying you can bring healing with your words. You can bring comfort. You can bring restoration through the power of your words. If we say what's on your tongue is in your future, if you start speaking positive things, amen? We've all said this. We've all had this experience where the words of the reckless pierce like swords. How many of you have all, all had the experience where you've said something and immediately after saying it, you're like, no, and you try to take it back. But it already pierced like a sword. And with a piercing, you, you know, you can't go back and repair and put together. You've made a puncture. Amen. And so, and so for us, we have to be so careful with our words because they're so hard to get back. Um, I'm in, uh, uh, assemblies of God, uh, just so you know, we're not an assemblies of God church. I don't have anything against assemblies of God. That's why I'm in an assemblies of God pastors group. Uh, but I'm in this group on Facebook and there's several thousand pastors. And, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I said, hey, can you, of this whole group, can you list some words that somebody has said about you that you've never forgotten? Essentially, it's pierced you and you've never got past it. And uh, so it literally became hundreds. And, um, and so here's some things that some people have had said to them that have pierced them like a sword uh, recklessly that they've never gotten over, that they still carry to this day. Uh, one person had it said of them, your mom and I didn't even want you. One person had said of them, you're damaged goods. One person had said of them, uh, you'll never be smart enough. Another person was literally told, I never want to see you again. Uh, One person said, why do you always make the wrong choice, is what gets said about them. One person was told, I've wasted so much of my life on you. Just unbelievable. Uh, Another person said, way to cost us the season. Um, And that was J.R. Smith. I don't know how he got in that group. Sports guys will get that. But that was actually what somebody really put. It was, way to cost us the season. Something literally in sports, which they matter, but they don't matter. Somebody literally, way to cost us the season. And that stuck with somebody for their life, for their entire life, because of the power of words. Uh, This one is interesting. Somebody was told this. It's obvious you don't have the call of God on your life. Somebody was told that. It's obvious you don't have the call of God on your life. Power. Power of words have carried into these people's life for great, great length. Uh, Maddie and I were a part of another church before we were here, uh, her family, and I was thinking about Maddie's life. uh, And and I'm kind of in the same boat as her uh, with this other church. People told this of Maddie. They said that Maddie would never be a worship leader, that she would never make it as a worship leader. Hey, guess what, people? Do you know what Maddie does? (laughs) She leads worship excellently, amen. And not only does she do it here, But she was just over at Central Wesleyan, led for their Celebrate Recovery. She just helped me facilitate a a funeral that she was invited to do. Uh, She's also going to be in Thailand serving God with her gift of worship leading. Amen. Sometimes these words, even though they're spoken toward you and they're aimed at you, uh, they aren't the final say. It's God's word that trumps man's word. Here's what was said about me at that church. Uh, I, I, I need to see how they said it. They said I didn't have the proper interpretation of the faith message is what was said about me. I don't have the, and then just a few months later, I went to an ARC training and they, uh, ARC is a church planting organization, and they, they do a study of all of your gifts and all of your traits and uh, what your strengths and weaknesses are. And do you know what came in number one for me as my gift? Being a faith person. <laughs> Somebody who's willing to you know, walk the plank and go forward no matter what it looks like is that interesting? You know what else is interesting? A year later, we became the largest church plant from scratch in the state of Michigan through our churches, which is a huge leap of faith, just so you know. And God blessed it. And you know what else? Uh, hold on. You know what else is interesting about those people who said about us, uh, said that about Maddie and said that about me not having the faith message? There's a handful, about five of them. Do you know that just two years after that, every single one of them were no longer in the ministry? Isn't that interesting? Also interesting because there's a good point that says you need to be careful about how you talk about God's anointed. Okay. (laughs) They say statistically, if of a hundred comments given in a marriage out of a hundred, if just 10 of them are negative, you have twice as much chance of getting a, a divorce as somebody who scores under 10 negative comments. So if you hit 10 out of 100 of your comments said to your spouse are negative, you double your rate of divorce risk. Isn't that interesting? No, not to any of you? <laughs> it's not, okay. But think about that. Like literally what you speak, it just begins to unravel and tear down the life of your marriage through negativity. Maybe that's why Philippians 2.14 says this. Do everything without complaining and arguing. It didn't say do some things without. It says do everything without, which is a, is a high standard. We're all working on that. But what is it? It's saying, look, there's so much power in your words. Your aim ought to be that you do everything without negative talk. You do everything without talking down. Amen. Amen. You guys are so upset I'm taking away your negative talk. <laughs> Stick around for second service. You need to hear it twice. Colossians 3.16, again, in the Passion Translation, it says this. It says, let the word, again, and these are words. These are powerful words, God's word. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another. So again, speaking words of God's word over one another. And then it says this, with Psalms and with festive praises, Because it's okay to have lights and some loud drums and loud music. Amen. Festive. Okay. And then it says this. With festive praises and with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. I'm so grateful that Maddie lives out this song. uh, and, And she lives out the scripture, I mean. And she leads us in spontaneously led worship songs. Amen. So sing to God with all your hearts. Let every activity of your lives. And look at this. It says every word. Not just every activity, but every word that comes from your lips be drenched in the beauty of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. It says your activity and your what? Words. Because we got a lot of Christians out there who are busy in the activity of God, yeah. okay? But their words don't line up with what they're trying to do in their activity. And, it, and it's very hypocritical and it's a huge turn off. We've all met those people. Amen. It's so important for us to do that. It says, let him be drenched with the beauty of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and bring your constant praise to God, the father, because of what Christ has done for you. I'm so grateful that not only does the scripture lead us in the way of the power of our words, but he's also like doubled down on it and said, here's how much words are important. Not only am I going to teach you and encourage you to use your words wisely, but I'm going to also give you this thing called the gift of prophecy. And prophecy is going to be a thing that, that builds up the saints and encourages one another. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. A gift of prophecy is something you see uh, in, in the list of ministry, which we don't have time to get into today. But it's the right word at the right time to the right people. Uh, you see in scripture there's prophets, but then there's also ways that we can prophesy over one another. And what is that? It's the gift of the right word at the right time to the right people. Proverbs 25, 11 says it like this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Uh, in this time where they threw great feasts, this would have meant like a huge thing. That to them, they would have been like, oh yeah, I understand with the value of what you're talking about here when you say a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. They would have been like, wow, that is actually really amazing. And it's the same thing for our life. When we can connect with one another and we can speak a rightly fitted word, to each other, whether you call it prophecy or encouragement or whatever you want to say, it's like the best thing you could be given. Amen. Amen. I'll close with this. Uh, There's a prophet named Ezekiel, and uh, he's in the Old Testament. And uh, this guy loves God's word so much that literally you can find in scripture when talked about his life, that he ate scroll, like the scroll, the scripture. Uh, He literally ate it. And the scripture said it was like honey to him. Uh, and so he, just, he was just a lover of God's word and his ways. And many of you are familiar with this story I'm about to read. It's quite a bit of scripture. But there's an incredible model that happens in this scripture. Uh, in Ezekiel 37, it says this. It said, the Lord took hold of me. Uh, actually, let me quick say this. So Israel, his people, uh, they were captured and brought into Babylonian captivity, uh, which in scripture time is called exile. And so they're in a really rough time, a dark time, a doubting time, a frustrated time. And, uh, and then there's this that takes place with the prophet Ezekiel. It says, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. This is the scripture where you understand that there's the valley of dry bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living again? Many of us ask that question of our life. Is it possible for this stuff to come back to life? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, oh, look at that. He said, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say. Notice he didn't look at him and say, see those bones? Do you think they come back to life? Believe, Just believe. No, he said, look at them and speak something over them. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will become life. You will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. And it says, so I spoke this message just as he told me. Two things here about making things come back to life in your life. First thing you see, God spoke to him and then he spoke to his situation. God spoke to him and he spoke to his situation. He didn't talk to a friend. He didn't talk to a buddy who would agree with them and, and, and pacify him and change his diaper about the situation. Right? God spoke to him, and he spoke to the situation. We have to hear God, and then we have to say what God is saying if we want to see things come to life. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, look at that. There was a rattling. Suddenly as I spoke, didn't say as I believed, didn't say as the pastor preached, as the worship leader led. It said as I spoke. There was a rattling noise across the valley. The bones of each came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, the muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Again, he's saying what God is speaking. He said, say what the sovereign Lord says. So whether you do it by speaking scripture or speaking what God spoke to you, whatever it is, you say it. He says, come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into the dead bodies so that they may live again. And then here we see it again. So I spoke the message as he commanded and breath came into the bodies. They all came to life and stood up to their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Again, he heard it and spoke it. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. I will bring you back from the land to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I'm the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. You will live again, return home to your land. Then you will come to know that the Lord has, again, spoken, and you have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Hearing and saying is the way God brings back to life. We hear from God and we speak and believe. What would Jesus undo? The way that we deathly confess over our lives. What we say over our kids, our careers, our future, our country. God is saying, hear from me and say what I'm saying. And these dry bones will come back to life.